Derek and Kieran are joined on this week's episode by actor Ewan McIntosh. Ewan is best known for his role as Keith Bishop in The Office. We discuss the process of Ewan getting cast in the part, the behind-the-scenes story of the TV classic, and would Ewan have taken a role in the US version. Ewan also has a large body of work including appearances in Little Britain and Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's Life's Too Short. Let Christy take it, bring you Ewan McIntosh. So Ewan, welcome to the podcast, Let Christy Take It. Can you tell us, what got you first interested in the arts? I guess just um, watching kids' TV growing up. You know, it was a real sort of golden age. You know, things like Camberwick Green and Bagpuss. Uh, just great storytelling, Jack and Ori, you know. And it got me into reading quite young. And uh, I just became sort of a voracious reader. And gradually sort of took it from there, I guess. Mr. Ben, that was a classic, wasn't it? That was one of my favourites. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And Grange Hill, nothing, nothing like that now on TV. For me, it was always Jamie and the Magic Torch. Had the most rocking intro of all time. Yeah, amazing intro. And Shulton and the Wheelies, that had a pretty good pretty good intro. They probably remember you, like you had to wait, you had to get up early on a Saturday to catch these shows. There wasn't a designated channel for them. Like if you wanted your going lives, you're on BBC and what was it? Tis was and then the ones on ITV. BBC always seemed to have the upper hand. But uh yeah. 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 A, and you know, it, it made it more I think it made it more enjoyable the fact you had to chase it down. Swap shop, huh? Yeah. Swap shop. Some good ones. Uh Tis was, that was like the bad the naughty version of Swap Shop, Tis was. Yeah. Or his was, but I mean, even for music, um, some of the acts that were on was it going live, Sarah Green and Scofield, yeah. Oh, Scofield was Scofield on that, yeah. Oh, Gordon, yeah, Gordon Goffrey, yeah. But uh, yeah, if you wanted to see music acts or music reviews, I, I, I always remember the Proclaimers Letter to America getting getting a half decent review, so I'll check that out on Saturday morning on TV, yeah. So tell us what made you to make a decision to pursue this career full time. Well, it was, it wasn't, uh. It was, a, I guess, it was a series of decisions, really. Some of which were made by me, and some of which were sort of out of my hands. So I wasn't really. I was. I was. I was quite academically minded until I got to university, and then I just became. Uh, all I did was just kind of party or do comedy and theatre and stuff, and the, and the, the academic stuff really fell away. And I was in Edinburgh, which is kind of. It was in this weird period that oh, I, was, I was kind of in this weird... Edinburgh was this place where there were no licensing laws when I went to university there. It's hard to believe nowadays. Uh, and they, it, it didn't last a, lo- a long time after I left. So you have this, this amazing city which was built for students where it was sort of a 24-hour city. You know, they said you could get a drink somewhere, everywhere, any, any time of day in Edinburgh. Like the last place shut at 4 a.m. and the, the first place opened at 4 a.m. if you knew where you were going. Uh, and so I was in this amazing city and doing a lot of student theatre and the festival would come every year, an amazing event. And every year in, in the summer, I wouldn't go away from Edinburgh, I'd stay there and do the festival. Some years doing three or four shows in the, in the you know, day. Uh, 
for the four weeks. I can't imagine doing that now, the energy I must have then. But um, I just got, got completely immersed in it. And uh, when I finished university, I suddenly realised I didn't really, I had a, a sort of a second-class degree, but not much of a plan of what to do with it. So I stayed in Edinburgh and kept doing some of the ventures I was doing. Stand-up comedy had just started to come to Edinburgh. The stand opened up and there were places to go and sort of do comedy. And I got involved in that side of it and doing an improv comedy show every week. And at the same time, I sort of started a job at a market research company because obviously I, had to, I didn't have any student income anymore. And so for a long time, I was kind of joint doing those two things, uh, comedy and uh and working for a market research company. And then I moved down to London in 2000. Uh, luckily, the market research company had a, had a London office so I could keep the job. And I moved down with some guys I'd met who we'd, we'd written a comedy lab for Channel 4 that got picked up to do, to do a pilot. And so I, I, so I came down to London. It was more or less doing the same thing Uh part-time sort of comedy and acting part-time and well fullish time market research and uh after a couple of series of the office things sort of were really taking taking off on the artistic side and there was a, i remember a time i got offered a full-time contract because i was always on a sort of a freelance you know i guess uh rolling contract with the mark with maury the market research guys and one day they offered me a permanent contract, and that was kind of the day where I had to pick one or the other. Uh, and I decided to keep going at the the acting comedy, and I've been doing that ever since, really. Um, you and was was your family supportive of you deciding to take this fairly risky career choice? I wouldn't say supportive isn't necessary. They was they were supportive, but they were also always worried. Even now, you know, I'm still sort of the black sheep of the family, really. My brother's like a headmaster at a, at a nice school, public school, private school, and uh, settled down and everything. And I'm still the one who, well, you know, I could do, who knows what I'll be doing one week to the next. So they've always been supportive, but uh, always kind of slightly concerned. And the strengths, you've just put accounts. Yeah. That's your job, though. That's just that's just. Mm. No, Keith. I was sort of looking for your skills within your job. So, is there anything else you could have put there? No. Okay. Um. Under weaknesses, you've put eczema. Keith. Right. You've you've left you've left this section completely blank, Keith. You haven't done the Q and A. I thought that you filled that in. No, 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 no. This is aimed at you. Look, um, look. To what extent do you believe that you have the skills and knowledge to perform your job effectively? And then you just tick one of the boxes. Not at all. To some extent, very much so. Don't know. What would you tick? Don't know. Okay. Um, question two. Uh, do you feel you have received adequate training to use your computer effectively? What are the options? Same as, they're always the same, always the same. Not at all, to some extent, very much so, don't know. Don't know. Don't know again, okay? 
Do you feel you are given the flexibility to decide how best to accomplish your goals? Do you want the options again? Yeah. Not at all. To some extent, always the same. Very much so. Don't, don't know. know. If don't know wasn't there, what would you put? Well, the options. Not at all. To some extent, very much so. Very, don't know. Very much so. Do you remember what the question was? No. Okay. Do you, let's, we're going to leave that there. You struck gold relatively quickly with only your second role playing Keith Bishop in The Office. Can you tell us how you got the role? Just through uh, having been seen by a casting director doing live comedy and also because they wanted, they deliberately wanted people for those office worker parts who hadn't been on TV because they wanted people to, to flick past it and think maybe they were looking at a documentary uh, for real. Because, uh, you know, it was a lot harder to find information about programmes back then. There was no sort of YouTube or iPlayer or digital, you know, guide or anything like that, really. So if you didn't know, if you didn't, if you didn't know what you were watching, you didn't have a copy of that day's paper. You just had to sort of guess, really, if you stumble onto something. And you, were you ever approaching the street when it did air and to somebody who said, are you that guy that works in the office? Uh, what from the show or from? No, no. Somebody who thought it was a real fly on the wall. No, it wasn't actually. I think because I think um, my character was kind of. Uh, I think you really had to be a fan of the show at first to even notice my character because it wasn't in it that much. So I think if you, if you got to the point where you were paying attention enough to see me, then I think you probably sussed it. it. I don't think it caught that many people out that it wasn't real. It just would maybe they wanted to. Ca- to maybe take your people a couple of minutes to cotton on and maybe give it maybe a couple of minutes thinking, is it or isn't it? But I think it was fairly obvious it was uh, it was uh, scripted. But it has become one of the most beloved comedy shows of all time. And when you were filming it, did you feel that it was going to be something special? No, I didn't have a clue, really. I mean, I hadn't done anything like this before. It was the first sort of sitcom I'd been in. Uh, it was the first kind of project of that size that I'd worked on. So, I mean, I was pretty clueless about everything. I didn't, I didn't really have an idea what was going on for much of the time. And Ricky Gervais is famous for corpsing. Was it hard to play it straight without cracking up? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, very hard, yeah. Uh, but it was always done in a fun way. You know, it was always seen as... You felt when, you, when, you, when, you, when he got you, you kind of felt you were part of the gang rather than you were mucking up or anything. Only Stephen would occasionally get annoyed if we were, if we were really overrunning, you know, and uh, and we, we had a certain amount to get done in the day. But mostly it was all it was all in good fun. Yeah, and when we rewatch it now, like there aren't that many characters to actually get a good laugh. But uh, your delivery of lines always did. Do you think that was down to Ricky and Stephen's writing or your expert acting? Uh, oh, I mean, I would give the writers the credit, really. Uh, the way it was written, you know, you had to have some characters who weren't for laughs. You had to have some characters who were fairly, you know, straight down the line uh, in order for the, the the kind of the hijinks to happen around them. Uh, so I was quite lucky that when they started giving me lines, it was sort of, uh, yeah, they were quite, they, they got a few laughs. They were expertly, expertly delivered. 
Um, <clears throat> like we go through like the, the Ali G or when you're doing your appraisal, but the scene with you and Martin and the Scotch egg, the outtakes alone, it was still just, it's just comedy gold. How many takes did it take to get, to actually get it, to get it right? Do you know what? I, I can't remember now. I mean, it's 20 years ago, but it was, it was well over 10. I know that it was, uh, it was someone, someone would just, someone just went really, I don't know what it was because we, we sort of filmed the first time we filmed it. We we did it in like one take, but they decided that the angle wasn't right. Uh, they, they wanted it to be. They filmed it inside the room, but then they decided they wanted to do one outside of the room as well, and they needed to rejig the angle for it. And then for some reason, after we after that, we just couldn't get through it. Don't know what it was, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was maybe Martin's fault. I'll, I'll say that. The, the ongoing popularity of that show, does it still surprise you? Yeah, it does. When you, when you think about it, of how long ago it was, uh, yeah, definitely is, I'm shocked that it's still kind of in people's consciousness the way that it is. And you, what be your favourite memory from the show? I think just the camaraderie, really. Just the, uh, the sort of uh, the unity of the cast. I mean... My most bonkers memory is when we did a DVD signing of the specials in, in Virgin Megastore in Oxford Street. And uh, it was like, it felt like Beatlemania. It was mad. So they, they invited me along, it was sort of the last minute. Don't know why, but it was Ricky, Steve, uh, Lucy, Martin, Mackenzie, uh, and Stephen and me. And we had this sort of, they put us in the back offices and then, we came down the escalators to the main body of the store and it was just like literally two like mad crowds of people cheering and screaming. And like a minute before, we'd just been sat in this stuffy room just kind of chat, shooting the breeze. And then it was like madness the number of people who turned up. It was crazy. You speak about these fans. What's your weirdest interaction with a fan of the office? They're normally all right. I remember the weirdest in, in terms of place and, and everything was I remember I was outside um, I think it was Virgin Records again I think I was outside one of the it was one of the big record shops in New York in Times Square being recognised by a couple of Japanese tourists that was certainly bizarre yeah that scene was um, it was very hard because you and so consistent the arm kept coming up on exactly the same point every time to eat the scotch egg and Martin could see that in his peripheral vision. And once you think of something's funny, that's it, you're done. After about five takes, and I looked through, and like Ash and Anna, and, you know, and Ricky and Steve are all sort of like going, ah, come on, come on. And I thought, God, I really might not be able to do it. You know, I thought I might not actually manage this. Boring, isn't it? Just staying in, watching peak practice with your life. Yeah. Not for me, I like it. I'll just stay. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. Boring, isn't it? Just staying in, watching Pete practice with your life. Yeah, it is. Not for me, I like it. Yeah, I just stayed in at a big... <laughs> <laughs> Not for me, I like it. Well, I just... <laughs> Boring, isn't it? Just staying in, watching Pete practice with your life. Yeah. Not for me, I like it. Well, I just stayed in at a big <coughs> wank. 
boring, isn't it? Just sit again, watching peak practice with your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for me, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky likes to remind me that it did take 13 takes. I would like to remind him that just kind of maybe walking down a corridor for him took about 40. You know what I mean? Speaking of the States, did you watch the US office? And if you did, what are your thoughts on it? I never, I never watched it. I, I think I maybe watched half an episode. Uh, because I think we just finished filming and when, when, when we got access to their one. And uh, because their first sort of episode was almost scene-for-scene scene remake of ours, uh, and because their set was like ours but flipped around kind of 180 degrees, it just felt too weird watching it. And so I thought, well, I'll, I won't watch it for now. I'll come back to it later. And then, of course, by the time I thought I'd come back to it, there were about 2,000 episodes. And I thought, oh, God. I, I was very resistant to it because I was such a fan of the, the UK opera. I was very resistant. And I only this year watched them all. And like that, the first year I said, oh, this is just like, it's just, you know, it's a waste of time. Yeah. But it's, it's it has on its own credit, it's really good. Because after when it leaves behind, like the obvious nods, it does go on a different angle. And it's it's very good, very funny. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Steve Carell fan. So I might dip into it and see what I think at some point. <laughs> How many versions of The Office are there? I don't know. I don't know. A lot, at least, at least ten. I think Germany was the first one to do it, and then there's been a few as well after that. Brazil, I think I read somewhere there was a Brazilian yeah. version. Yeah, yeah. I've not seen any of them. <laughs> well, you to date you've got seventy six acting credits on your IMDb list, and other than The Office, which is your most favourite and least favourite to date? Well, my least favourite would probably be the, there's there's, a, there's at least a few that don't that are fictional that are just chances, and there's one who I'm sure is is there's one I can't remember which one it is. There's a one that um, I signed a letter of consent for over ten years ago, and he's still got it up there as being in production, and he's a he's a Bollywood guy, and I'm sure he's doing it for some kind of tax scam or something, or money laundering or something. Because I met him once in a hotel in Hyde Park Lane over 10 years ago. And this film is still uplisted people like Robert Hardy and Ross Kemp and everyone's being in it. And it's not it's not a real film. <laughs> you know, it doesn't exist. So uh did, you, did uh, you get paid you? Didn't get no, didn't get anything, didn't even didn't film anything or do anything. <laughs> I just literally wrote a letter saying, if this goes ahead, I agree in principle to being involved. So he obviously got a load of people to sign these letters, created an IMDb credit, went back to Bollywood and said, oh, look at all these, all these people I'm working with. Uh, and I had no intention of making, you know, I just, it was a bizarre one, that. Yeah, so IMDb is a little bit, uh, not always to be trusted 100%. There are ways of kind of, uh, of hacking it, as it were, if he so wanted. And... The entertainment industry is notoriously hard to break into. What advice would you give to a young Ewan? Uh, if I was starting out now, uh, I would say become savvy with everything, everything technical. Teach yourself how to film, shoot, edit, you know, add music, add graphics, the whole package. Get as technically proficient as you can and make your, make your product look good. Because if you make it look really, really good, you don't need 
you know, you, at the moment, there's there's what you, at the moment you can become rich on TikTok. You know, just through doing your own stuff if you play it right and if you know what you're doing. So I'd say become become tech savvy, teach yourself everything on the technical side, and keep an eye on the trends and what people are looking for. And as well as you know, then you can kind of keep yourself going doing that sort of thing, as well as sending fun little stuff to TV production companies or film producers if you want to go down a longer form. So when I would when I was starting, if you wanted to do get comedy producer interested, you had to write a show and hire a venue and put it on and get people and try and persuade people to come and watch it. Now you can just do it like that, you know. So I think that's that's the way forward now, definitely. What are you reading? Uh, holiday brochure. Why is that then going on holiday? Uh, possibly. Where yeah. to? Uh, the States. United States? Uh, yeah. Don't know if you've heard the gossip, but Tim's going out with Rachel. Yeah, 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 I'd, I'd heard. Yeah, because yeah, uh, he used to fancy you, didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah, 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 he did, and now he's found someone better. A lot of crime in America. Right, well, I'll be careful. Word of advice. Keep your traveller's checks in a bum bag. Thanks, I'll, I'll buy one. Well, when you get there? Yep. Word of warning, then. Out there, they call them fanny packs. Because fanny means your arse over there. Not your minge. And during lockdown, a lot of the musical acts we spoke to, some have got really creative, others just felt they couldn't create. How did you find it? I was lucky because I was a part of this before. For a couple of years, I've been part of these um, video messages like Cameo and Memo. And during the lockdown, that just that went mad. That just took off. People couldn't, couldn't see each other or cancelled birthday parties, cancelled stag do's, cancelled weddings. Uh, they'd, you know, get a message from a celeb saying, you know, for me, it was always they wanted me to do to do it as Keith, sort of wishing someone a happy birthday, but in quite a deadpan way, or, you know, slagging someone off on their stag do or whatever. Uh, so that I, that was a godsend for me, really, during lockdown, because a lot of the other stuff, obviously, yeah, just ground to a halt. And do you enjoy doing those videos? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... It's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's like um, everyone, you just, if you, because the review, because you get the reviews back is so, you can tell you're really making someone's day or really making someone's birthday or whatever because you see the feedback you get, which makes it really, for me, really worthwhile doing it. So what are you doing just thinking about Dawn? <laughs> well, I'm not, not thinking about Dawn, actually. Just... I'm not thinking about Dawn Okay, okay. It's just that I hope you don't embarrass yourself again with her. Well, I'm not planning to, Keith. All right. I mean, that'll be the the third time you've asked her out and the woman said no, so... Well, I don't know what you... I'm not going to do anything. That, that, as far as I'm concerned, is ancient history. 
All right. All right. Word of warning, though. If you are planning to try and nail Dawn for a third time while she's back, then you heard what she said. She's going back the day after the party, so you've not got long if you want to try. Yes, yeah, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's great. What do I owe you for this session? You're obviously such an expert with the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. So why is that? What is your secret? You know, I've been meaning to ask. Well. Men get turned on by what they see, uh -huh. but women get turned on by what they hear. Right. I always make sure the woman hears the right thing. Yeah? So what, what do you do when you're a-wooing and you sing to them? Or? No. I very tenderly explain to them that I will guarantee them at least one orgasm. Has, has anyone ever heard you to tell their wife or girlfriend that you will definitely give them at least one yeah, that's up there on the list. Fact, I guess after um, after you know, go on maybe going on a holiday to America, keeping your travel checks in a bum bag, and after you know, see you down chasers. Uh, that, that's definitely up there as well. Yeah, the orgasm one. They're very very popular around Valentine's Day. That one. And if people want to order these, you know, where can they get them? Just go to just type in cameo. You and Macintosh, and uh, it'll come up. Brilliant. I know we spoke to Alex Lowe, and he was flying with these, doing Clinton Baptiste, and he said the amount of time he's had to call somebody a nonce. <laughs> yeah, I I got him into them, actually. I, I suggested it to him a while, ages ago. And uh, he, sort of, he messaged me a few a couple of weeks ago going, this is, this is just amazing, the number of requests he's getting. Because he can do sort of, yeah, he does Clinton a lot, but I mean, if he wanted, he could do otherwise. He could do Barry from Watford right. or whatever. Yeah. Really, so, just another avenue. Yeah, just another avenue stream, or you know, just it's yeah, just so yeah. hard at the moment for for guys to you know to be creatively um, to, for creative output. With the bloody global pandemic is on, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've been I'm too lazy, but I have been told that TikTok is a good one at the moment. They're they're pretty good at. Uh, it's owned by a huge, huge Chinese company. Uh, and apparently they're pretty good at uh, paying their uh, content creators. They're a lot better than YouTube no. and other people. Who YouTube made it, have made it increasingly hard for people to kind of monetize their content by putting all sorts of clauses in and uh, advertising and all sorts. But apparently TikTok, are, TikTok is the way forward. Yeah, we've been told to do this, but we've been resistant, I think, because of our age. Maybe yeah, yeah. we should look at I mean, I'm exactly the same. Uh, so, I thought, oh, it's just another Bebo or whatever. It'll just come and go. Uh, but someone, uh, someone who I was working with recently who works in production said, no, no, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a game changer, this one. It isn't, it isn't just one of these fly-by-night things. It's actually, uh, it's actually massive and it's just going to get bigger. So what's next for you and Macintosh? Uh, well, I'm exact producing and, and, and acting in a short film in a couple of weeks. So it'll be my first sort of production credit. Uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. We're, we're sort of gearing up at the moment, getting everything ready for the shoot. So uh, that, that's my next sort of thing to focus on. 
Ewan, we have a, a question that we ask our guests, and the question is, it's last orders at the bar. You've one pound in your pocket. You get to play your last song. It's literally last orders. What's the last song you and Macintosh ever plays? Uh, I thought about this, and I thought about should I go with something profound or just something fun, a bit of nonsense uh, that's going to kind of rock out at the end. So the one I decided to go for, it's a duet featuring Cher, but maybe not the obvious one that you're thinking of. It's Cher and Meatloaf with Dead Ringer for Love. That's the one oh, I was yeah. thinking of. What's the obvious one? That's the one I yeah, was thinking of. Sonny and Cher, I got you. Oh, oh <laughs> Believe it or not, when you said duet, that's what I was thinking of. of uh, the show's our generation. Meatloaf, right? yeah. That's our age, yeah. So <laughs> you and that's the song we're going to play out on. It's been a pleasure to have you on, on, on uh, Electricity Take It. We're delighted to have you. It's been great. Cheers, guys. I loved The Office. Yeah, I did loved too. it. I, I, I have to be honest, I didn't watch it when it was forced on. And I remember I was sitting in a friend's house one day and he had the box set at The Office on and he was waxing lyrical about it. Darren Johnson, if you're listening, Darren. And he said, what do you mean you've never seen it? I said, I've never seen it. So we put it on and we binge watched season one and two. You know, I, so, I came to it late. I, I, well, I, did, I was on, I remember watching on BBC Two. I think it was a Sunday night. But a guy that I used to work with, he said to me, yeah, oh, I've watched this new show. I, like, so I came to episode two, season one. And like, for its time, it was new because these kind of fly in the wall documentaries, people didn't know it was a real office. If Ricky Gervais, of course, was the singer in the band. What was he in? What band was he in again? Jeez, I haven't got a clue. Some 80s band. So, uh, yeah. And I loved it. I loved it. I just love, I love his dry humour. You, you know what? I've, I've watched it over and over again over the years from the... Handbags and glad rags, stereophonics from the opening, just everything about it is just brilliant. It's it's underplayed, it's overplayed, it's it's subtle, it's in your face. It has emotional heartbeats and hilarity that you will never see on TV again. It's excellent. Now, I was very resistant to watch the American Office after being such a fan of the the UK Office, and I I I, I only watched the American Office quite recently in the last year and a half. Watched it all, binge watched it. First year episode was like, nah, this is terrible. But to me, it improves upon the office. It's phenomenally good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Another uh, tour de force. But again, it all harks back to the writing of Gervais and Merchant, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. I mean, that's that's the, the crux. That is the, the foundation with to, to it is all built on. I mean, how many, uh, never mind the, the US office, I think there's like maybe 10 different versions of the office. Yeah, on TV around the world, Brazilian officer definitely. Anyway, and it's just Gervais playing himself. You know, it's just the name is different, but that's him. And as you've seen in the Emmys and you know that cutting humor. If if you look at the at the UK office, and while some people are talking, if you look in the background at Martin Freeman doing his his eyes, and it, I, I can't remember I read it somewhere or if it was on the extras of the office that his his goal was to emulate Laurel and Hardy visual. 
just the visual visual humor, not like eyes and, and eyebrows and stuff. It was just brilliant. That's something that really annoyed me in the American office, especially towards the le- the latter and coming to watch probably the last two seasons. What's the guy's name who did a quiet place? He played uh, Krasinski, John Krasinski. Krasinski, yeah, John Krasinski. He he'd be over. You see him and like you know making these stupid faces at the camera. Got really annoying for me now. Really annoying. You know, put the eyebrows up, looking at the camera, looking back, looking away. That really started to bug me towards the end of it. I couldn't disagree with you more. <laughs> and I really mean that. I, I thought it was just brilliant right to the end. I mean, had again, the US office also hit all the right beats. I, like, like everything that goes on. Like obviously the UK office only went for two years, two seasons and a couple of specials. The US office had, I don't know, six or seven series. Um, but it also hit like the emotional heartbeats. I mean, Pam and Jim, the the romance. The, I don't, if you haven't seen the US office, then there's spoilers, but you know, the, the wedding episode. Kevin walking with his feet in tissue boxes and at the end of the episode <laughs> putting his feet into the ice machine. I can tell you now that I laughed out loud at that. Uh, uh, laughed out loud. Uh,